welcome back to episode number 217 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are talking with Bill Laternis, Manufacturing Senior Safety Advisor with BC Forest Safety Council. Bill, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Great to be here, Chris. I'm really excited to have Bill on. We are going to be talking about a number of things on auditing for combustible dust. And this is kind of a follow-up episode on episode 213, where I walked through the WPAC, that's Wood Pellet Association of Canada's audit tool for managing wood dust mitigation and control. I talked about what was in that audit tool, what the scope was, some of the qualifications of the auditor, and then went through a number of the elements of the audit program. I really like the way that laid out things like how to do observation, documentation checks, interviews against these different elements to understand the combustible dust hazards at a site, and in particular to, to wood pellet mills and Canadian wood pellet mills uh, in that document. I had a really good conversation with Bill afterwards about his use through the Manufacturing Advisory Group, through BC Forest Safety Council, and other groups in British Columbia on the use of that tool and then subsequent versions of that tool as it's sort of evolved over time. And I want to get him on the podcast to talk a bit through that. So we're going to go through why the WPAC audit tool was created, maybe a bit about how it was created and then how it's evolved over time. Most importantly, what I really want to get from Bill's background is some examples of this process. And I'm really hoping that the listener to this podcast, if they're trying to go about developing a tool for understanding or auditing or assessing, whatever word you want to use, the hazards at their site or at the companies that they're working with, they can take some really key points away from this. In the previous episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 213, there's links to the WPAC audit tool and a bunch of the links we have there. We'll also pull some of the links from this discussion, include them in the show notes for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 217 as well. So Bill, I think kind of just jumping in, can you share a bit of your background and what your current role is with BC Forest Safety Council, BC FSC? Sure. I have 30 years more experience in forest products manufacturing at many different operations in BC in just about every management position uh, that you can think of in a sawmill, including chief of some boilers in a remanufacturing plant. So I've had a fair bit of background in dealing with safety in general and combustible dust safety at the operational level. In 2019, I joined the BC Forest Safety Council as their senior safety manager for the uh, manufacturing. And since then, I've been concentrating on the development and implementation of a audit process for sawmills that includes combustible dust and also with the WPAC, the Wood Pellet Association of Canada and uh, safety systems for, for WPAC. And that was one of the things I didn't pick up on last time when I recorded this previous episode was that I was kind of mixing some different audit tools that have been developed in BC up. Um, when you say you, you've been involved with developing of this audit process for sawmills, does that, does that audit process have an, a name? Would that be the, the MAG audit tool or is there something I can kind of point to as, as, as that project you've been working on? So that uh, audit is called the MAG audit or the manufacturing audit, and it's specific to the safety systems in sawmills with a focus on high-risk modules, which one of them is the combustible dust. Perfect. And just so we've covered this on the podcast way back, and I'll grab the episode number as well, but can you just give us a reminder of what the MAG group is in BC as well? 
The MAG group is an association that was born early 2006. It started off with five of the larger companies, the licensees in BC, and has, has grown uh, since then. And it represents the, the sawmillers in the province. And sitting around the MAG table, it's uh, got representation for about 83% of the the, the sawmills in British Columbia. So it, it really is a, a strong group that drives the process for safety. Yeah, and I, I mentioned to Bill before we started recording that I find that the, the group out in British Columbia is pretty close-knit and works together across a number of health and safety associations, industry associations, the industries themselves. And we've had in broad strokes a number of those different personnel on the podcast. And I'll just kind of run through the list. We had Gordon Murray on in episode 131 talking about the history of the Woodpell Association of Canada, which Sherry Whelan on from BC4 Safety Council, talking about identifying and implementing critical controls in Woodpell facilities. We have had Dr. Paul Amiot and Kaylee Rayner-Brown on in two different episodes, 133 for Dr. Amiot, 184 for Kaylee on bow tie analysis, inherently safer design. We've had David Murray on episode 99 and 98, talking about the Manufacturing Advisory Group. So I, I don't know, that's spanning about three years of podcast interviews, <laughs> now having you on at 217, where we've been revisiting different people in this ecosystem, if you will. So if you're interested in what any of those groups do, those episodes, we'll have links to them in the show notes. You can get uh, that information in those episodes. So we mentioned that we have sort of this MAG audit. What is the, or what is the WPAC audit tool for managing wood dust mitigation? And I'm kind of curious how that came about, because that was the thing that I, I assessed, if you will, in the previous podcast episode and that the audience might be familiar about? So the, the audit tool for the pellet operation actually precedes the explosions in BC that we had uh, for the two sawmills back in uh, 2012. It actually started in 2009, where the pellet industry recognized that they wanted to take a closer look at their um, safety management system for combustible dust. And it was what was called uh, the pellet addendum that was attached to what we call the base two audit. And, and so it's, it was part of the base audit was part of a larger program where companies can get a safety management system audit and, and get recognized for that by the regulator in BC, WorkSafe BC. And we added the, the pellet addendum to that audit. It can be a standalone audit or done in conjunction with the, the base audit. I touched on it briefly, just what was mentioned in the WPAC addendum, the tool that I, I talked to last time about how it can be used to gain, say, a recognition of, of levels of safety that you have at your facility within the scope of the regulatory environment out there. But can you maybe just summarize that a bit? Which group provides what kind of I can't think of the right word. Certification probably isn't the right word, but if you do this audit or this family of audits and get a positive result, what kind of benefits would come out as a company to doing that? And, and why might you go through this process? Well, there, there's two things here. One, the BC4 Safety Council is the health and safety association that is supported by both the sawmills and wood pellet producers in BC. So our activities are funded by these industries. The audit process that we have is attached to what's called the certification partners 
in WorkSafe BC, where if a company performs what's called a, a core, a certificate of recognition audit, they get recognized by WorkSafe BC for having a safety management system that meets a minimum threshold, and they get a bit of a rebate back on their assessment each year by doing that. The pellet addendum that was added on to the, the base audit at the beginning in 2009, or developed in 2009, while it was added onto the base audit, it, it is a standalone audit and the regulator does not give them a certificate of recognition for the pellet addendum, just for the, the larger audit, the base audit. Okay, that's that's helpful. I think I've started to draw a picture, but I'm out of I'm out of lines. <laughs> so it's uh, needless to say, there are some recognitions that can come with beyond actually you know helping improving safety at your facility that can come with these type of audit tools in British Columbia. If you have questions about that, if you're working in British Columbia, if you're working with sites that work in British Columbia, Bill is the one to talk to. <laughs> so we'll have his contact details at the in the show notes for this episode. He can steer you in the right direction there. I really appreciate how the WPAC audit tool was laid out. Things like how observations were made, documentation interviews, had example questions. And that was really my personal going through that material in the last time I covered this in the podcast. But today I want to cover things like, you know, how was that created? How has it evolved over time? And then some examples and some use cases that you see and hopefully pull some of those practical experiences that you have. So let's start at the start. We're talking before... 2012, so before the large two sawmill explosions in British Columbia, which is what we actually covered in episode 97 with David Murray, talking about lessons learned from those sawmill explosions. But before that, how did the WPAC addendum come about? What structured way or, or unstructured way was used to actually start to develop some of these audit tools? And then I think progressing to, okay, we're now... 15 years later, you know, is that still the right way to go about developing these tools? And I just want to try to pull out how somebody might go about understanding for their industry, how to develop some of these assessment tools. Okay. So the pellet addendum came out because of the industry wanting a better way to look at uh, their, their combustible dust issues and the actual development of the audit. You know, it's, it's critical when you're developing this type of thing to get good input from your industry so that you're fulfilling their needs is really what you're you're trying to do. And so if you've got the industry focused on, okay, we've got to do something better, and but we need help to identify what we need to do better, you know, the, the audit tool is really one of the ways to identify the gaps in your system. So back in 2009, when they, they started to develop this, there was, uh, there was a lot of effort that was put into getting industry input into it. Uh, the people at the BC Forest Safety Council had already developed audits for safety management systems for the sectors they support, use the same format. So it's a format that works quite well for us in how we, we go in and look at a system. It's, it's somewhat prescriptive and includes not only audit questions, but guidelines for each audit. And so when you're working with external auditors and helping them to understand how to perform the audit, you're always focused on, well, what does the guideline say? For that audit question. The audit question might be one sentence, but the guideline is going to be additional information to help steer them in the direction of what do they need to look for. And when you say the common framework that is used, you know, in other industries in, in that uh, BC Forest Safety Council covers, is that things like the observation documentation and interview 
you know, breaking into those different components? Are, are those some of the elements of the framework that you're talking about that are common to non-combustible dust producing operations? Or is, there's there other things that are copied over from there as well? At the beginning for the, the pellet addendum, it did follow what was the common framework for the certificate of recognition audits. So you'll find that most of the certifying partners for different industries in BC follow a very similar format in the what we call the ODI process with occupation observations, documentation, and, and interviews. One thing I do want to stress, though, is that all audits that are developed go through an evolution. So they, they tend to start off with a, a certain format that might or might not always be there during the audit evolution, but things do change with time and the focus changes with time. Yeah, so I, I see a couple of things like you mentioned getting the industry input. So I think that would help you set your goals on what gaps you're looking to identify, choosing the framework. So the ODI framework is then maybe how you would go about understanding, you know, where, where you're not hitting those goals or where those gaps exist. And now you're saying, well, it, it also needs to evolve over time. What are some ways in which this framework and even the other frameworks within BC have evolved since it was created? And particularly, I'm interested in the combustible dust ones. You know, are things that have been added that, that are more of a focus point? Things have dropped off. You know, I guess, how do we go about improving it over time? And then what are some of the specific things for combustible dust that have been, been looked at more closely? So for the, the pellet addendum, I'll speak to that one first for the pellet producers. Pellet addendum was a typical safety management system audit that was heavily focused on documentation. So these are your policies, your procedures, how you do things. There was some review of records. There was observations and interviews to, to sort of check, you know, are things happening the way you want them to. The evolution for an operation that goes and use that uses that type of audit, it very quickly you start to lose value when you're continuing to look at your your documentation and having a strong focus on documentation. But documentation doesn't necessarily change on the same type of frequency that you might do your your audit. So uh, some companies were doing the audit annually and some were doing it on a three-year cycle some were doing it just once and then continuing on this was a a non-regulated audit and so companies got to decide their own frequency when i was approached to do the audit on an annual basis with companies very quickly they're saying well i need more than just to focus on the paper and that's when the evolution changed to the focus on on records observations and interviews. So to provide an example of that is instead of spending a lot of time looking at do they have a policy and and do they does do their policies and procedures state how often you review things and all the rest, you know, you would spend more time looking at some inspection records for combustible dust. And, and so okay, they're they're doing their combustible dust uh, inspections in their operation weekly. Yeah, I would then focus on the interviews and go out there into the operation and take a look around and do the observations first, look like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And second, does it match the inspection records that I just reviewed for the past year? You know, to give you an example of one operation I went into is their inspections were all saying everything's good. All the boxes are ticked. We have no accumulations of combustible dust. I'm there on a Thursday and a Friday and I'm walking through the plant and I'm like, 
the records don't match what I'm seeing. There's accumulations of combustible dust. Some of them are reaching a critical point where they need to be addressed immediately. And so when I question the personnel on the site, they're saying, well, we do the inspections Monday, but they also do all their combustible dust cleanup on the weekend. So the gap is, is you know, doing an inspection for combustible dust after you've done all your cleanup is not providing you any value. Possibly you should be doing that later in the week. One, to identify where your large accumulations are happening. And two, what do you want to give to the crew on the weekend that's coming in to clean up the combustible dust when the plant's not running? You need to give them some instructions and you want the, the accumulations that are happening to be to be cleaned up properly. So it's just a simple thing that, hey, let's just change the frequency. And when we do the inspections to a different date, and all of a sudden you've addressed what potentially could be issues with accumulations with a better focus on what's really happening out there. Yeah. And you, you probably made some improvements on your cleaning protocols too, right? Saved some time in some places, added some time in other places, but made it more effective overall because you're, you're doing the measurement and you and I talked about this before about measurement being an, an important thing or doing a measurement at a time where you can get better information. It's like doing the, if you think of the, I don't know if, if you're at a, a fast food restaurant and they have in the, the washroom, the, the happy face, smiley face kind of thing that the employees got to fill out. Well, if they clean this place and then market is happy, that's not the same as, as going in and saying what the marketing is beforehand. Oh yeah, correct. And, and I think what's important when you're dealing with combustible dust is it's a bit of a live beast that is not always the same, you know, and uh, you know, people that are in the business that create dust that's combustible, you know, they should know that your equipment's not always working at 100% efficiency. You'll have uh, issues uh, with your ventilation equipment. You have to be able to identify where the fugitive dust is coming from and, and address it in a timely manner because once it gets out of hand, you now are fighting the availability of your resources to get things cleaned up properly. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Can Can you walk like through a couple examples of what this will look like? So. I'm thinking start to finish, you know, a company, do they bring in yourself to support this? Or is this something that they're doing themselves? I guess who should be involved in the, the audit process? And then what might it look like as, as it evolves over time to actually do this sort of thing? As a unregulated process that is really for the benefit of the companies and the companies do it for their own benefit, not to satisfy a regulator, it takes on a bit of a life of its own depending on the size of the company and the availability of resources. I had some multi-operational companies that would have me come in every year to do a combustible dust audit at every one of their operations. And then I've had some companies that asked me to come and do a combustible dust audit as a one-off and then they don't ever do another one again. They just try to manage their process after that, given that somebody's said you're Here's your safety management system for combustible dust. These are the areas where it's working properly. Here's your, your areas where you have issues. You know, you need to get those fixed, but that's the last of what they see in terms of an auditor. The other thing that's critical in this whole audit process is having an auditor that understands the process he's looking at. And, and you know, we discussed it earlier that, you know, my optimum person to perform this audit is somebody that actually 
has extensive experience with the equipment you're auditing. Somebody with a lot of credentials that doesn't necessarily have experience around the equipment that you're auditing might not know what to even look for when it comes to where are the hazards. And it could be as simple as knowing that inside ventilation systems, they plug up. And knowing that, you you would then be asking questions of maintenance personnel. How often do you get somebody in to check your flow rates on your ventilation equipment? How often do they get cleaned? And then you could find gaps in their system where they didn't even know themselves that they had to get somebody in to test their flow rates and were scratching their heads on why their system doesn't seem to be operating to the efficiency that they need it to. Any other kind of insights? I, I picked up a couple here about housekeeping frequencies, matching the timing of your housekeeping with the timing of your inspection process. So you're getting the maximum value out of both of those. Checking for things like flow rates and plugging things would be really specific to, you know, your operation. For example, if you're, you know, in sawmills and, and now you'd have a lot more fibers kind of particles that might tend to get stuck in, I don't know, meshes and screens where you know, other types of combustible dust maybe wouldn't be as likely to kind of clog things up like that. Any other sort of things that when you think back about your experience of doing zots have come up time and time again for facilities that are handling combustible dust? The first one is, is companies that have a strong and effective management of change process have a better time of it. And it can be as simple as changing from one species to another. And I'll use the case on the coast of British Columbia where you have a sawmill that's running predominantly Douglas fir. It throws less fine sawdust out when it's being manufactured. Then they switch over for a one week yellow cedar cut and then all of a sudden, because of all the grades that they are producing and the different type of cutting process that's going on, they pull people out of the housekeeping because they need more workers to help out with the products they're producing. But they're also throwing more dust and they get behind in their, their cleanup of the combustible dust. So understanding the management of change process, when things change, you need to be taking a look and assessing what your needs are for combustible dust. And also even just recognition that some positions are critical and you can't pull people out of those critical positions. Even if you need them to help you with your production, you really got to think twice that if I pull this critical person out of the process on housekeeping, what does that mean to my operation? Now, another aspect I think in the auditing process is with combustible dust, companies go through stages of being able to address and the controls that they're putting in place. So it's a recognition that as a company spends capital on better and more efficient dust extraction units and control systems that are on their ventilation push, uh, equipment, as those start to show up in an operation, you need to be paying attention to those controls because if they're new to the operation, the maintenance that's being performed on them might not be adequate to keep those those things working properly. And, and I'll, I'll use an example of an operation that I went to that added an abort gate onto their ventilation system to stop uh, deflagration going back into the sawmill. It's up on the roof and I'm looking up there from the ground and I'm saying, hey, I see an abort gate up there and it didn't look right. Let's go up and take a look. So we head up to the roof and I'm standing there and I'm saying, who welded this piece of metal and hung the weight from it? 
oh, well, our maintenance guys did that because when they went to come and clean it, the thing kept on, it wouldn't, it, we needed it in a certain position. So we needed to have access to, to the inside so that we can clean it properly. And I says, well, by hanging a weight on it the way you did, the thing won't shut if there's a deflagration. Do you realize that? Well, no, we don't, we didn't understand that. We were just told we had to keep it clean. So really paying attention to some of the equipment that's been installed and whether it's being maintained properly or whether it's being modified without anybody's you know knowledge uh, it is an important part of the evolution of a company that's spending capital to improve their comb combustible dust mitigation yeah it makes a lot of sense i mean i kind of lop them into into maintenance but also modifications i don't know if you see this like would you see where a, a company might have a lot of those different types of units installed where they may have someone who champions the installation of fire and explosion protection equipment so that at least somebody has to ask them before they they modify modify that system rightly or wrongly or is that something that ends up happening at the end of the day like I'm trying to think of who who should be the one to know that you can't just bolt those things shut or lock them open or whatever ends up happening that would be your maintenance supervisors and, and your maintenance managers and your planners. Uh, they need to be aware and knowledgeable about the systems that have been installed and understand the maintenance schedules. One of the identified issues that show up in a lot of operations is you have a ventilation system and you've got, let's say, a shop in the area of the ventilation system and all of a sudden somebody in the shop decides to go and tack into the conduit and, and attaches a pipe or a hose to use it to make it easier for him to clean up his area around his bench. Yep. Now, he doesn't tell anybody, but what he did is he's basically fooling around with your ventilation system that has been engineered to the point where it's going to be performing the duties that it's required to, and you've just reduced the ability of the system to do what it's supposed to do. That happens a lot. Yep. Yeah. Engineered modifications, but just, you know, modifying without actually planning on what the effects of that are. If you add too many of those lags, I guess, I don't know what you call them, but add and too many of those sections, then you're going to reduce your airflow overall and you may end up with dust accumulating at a higher rate inside that ducting than you would otherwise have. And, and that's a, a real danger because then you have your, your fire possibility in the ducting. And you also have your deflagration possibility in the ducting as well, which is the whole point of the system <laughs> to keep that stuff moving and out to the out to the extraction, out to the dust collector. These are some really good points. Anything else that you picked up over your, your experience in this area? There has been a few cases where I've questioned the systems that have been put in and who put them in that, uh, you know, did you actually get an engineer to actually check this out, what this, this company is doing? And the, the worst one I know of was a little bag house was put in with the, uh, the explosion panel, basically at about head height, facing the walkway for all the employees into the mill. And so I'm walking into this mill after they put this thing in. They're all happy that they've they've added a piece of uh, equipment, a bag house to their system to help with their combustible dust. And, and I'm like, yeah, but you put it in the wrong place. If this thing, uh, if this thing has a deflagration and that explosion panel, you know, explodes out, it could hit one of your workers walking into work. Did you realize that? And they're like, well, no. I said, well, did you get an engineer to look at it? Did you even look at the regulations that say you can't put a system like that by a walkway? 
so I tend to find that sometimes companies have a lot of good ideas and do good things, but they don't necessarily get the help they need to make sure that they're not going to make the situation worse. Yeah, I think it's a really important aspect just to think of whether whether or not you have the expertise. Like, you probably don't want the person who's who's putting it in to be their first time, <laughs> first time, or their or their tenth time doing it incorrectly. I guess as well. I suppose it's probably as bad as their first time. Yeah, it's it's a point well taken. You want to make sure that the expertise is there so that people are putting them in a, in a way that's safe. And I kind of I want to cycle back to we had to closing out this interview on auditing processes. Any sort of like words of wisdoms for it could be companies or associations, but they don't have this type of audit process in place. I think we covered a couple of them. You know, take industry input, come up with a framework, let the framework evolve over time. You need buy-in from, you know, the multiple stakeholders. But anything else you can think of that would be really helpful for folks to know if they're just starting their journey and saying, hey, I want to, because there'll be people listening to this, there'll be end users, health and safety managers going, oh, really, I really want to um, develop an audit process for my site, but I'm just not sure where to start or how to go about it. Like, that's what I'm trying to pull out as the, the most helpful thing. Any words or wisdoms for those folks before we close out the episode? I, I think the most important thing to say is you're not alone. Anything you do in terms of developing an audit process for muscle dust, there's, there's quite a few different people or associations that you can you can approach to, to get some help in, in the starting up the process and maybe pointing or you in a in a direction. One of the probably critical beliefs or the most important beliefs that we have at both the WPAC and with the with the manufacturing advisory group is we share safety. We don't compete on safety. And that's not just with the people that sit around the table. It's with anybody that approaches us for help. It doesn't matter where they come from. We're always willing to talk to somebody and point them in the right direction. We might not be able to travel across the country to do it for you, but we can sure try to help you start the process off right. And we're even willing to look at what you've developed and, and critique it from our point of view. And we don't, you know, we're we're a health and safety association that's funded by industry and industry supports that. And, and so it's not as if you come to the BC4 Safety Council or the Manufacturing Advisory Group, they're going to send you an invoice for that. But uh, we sure are focused on making sure that anybody that needs a helping hand gets the best that we can offer given our current situation. Well, I think the point is really well taken. Like don't do it in a vacuum and reach out. You can, you can email myself, Chris at dustsafetyscience.com. You can contact Bill. We will have a way to contact him in the show notes for this episode. Start to reach out because the, the biggest thing that happens if you start, if you just create it on your own is, is that it's, it's, it becomes really biased to what you think and believe and really what you've seen. And chances are with something that's as low frequency as a, a dust explosion, and I'm not saying it's always low frequency. Some sites have a couple a year, depending on how their operations are running. Generally, it's something that people may not see it often, and you're very likely to discount many of the hazard scenarios that you haven't experienced outright. Um, and we see this in everything from standard development to audit process development to just a consultant that would go in and look at a site where they say, oh, well, I've never seen that before. Well, who says that you've seen everything that can can happen? And when a large explosion happens, the first thing people say, whether it be Imperial Sugar or other large explosions, 
is, wow, I didn't know that could happen. <laughs> of course you didn't know it could happen, else you wouldn't, you know, if you knew explosion was going to happen, you wouldn't probably come to work that day. So that's the point that I'm trying to get across with, with saying that is that reach out. We've had people reach out from other countries like we had Ali El Nashdawi on the podcast way back in episode uh, four or five, I think, from the country of Jordan when they had a silo explosion there. Just trying to find it here. I don't see it, but uh, it's it's there in our, some of our earliest episodes. Well, after that explosion, they really want to understand to create an audit process. Now I think about it, an audit process on the grain silos in, in their country. That was episode 13 of the podcast. So exactly 204 episodes ago. So over four years ago now. At the time, I don't believe they were familiar with, say, the OSHA grain handling standard or what is now NFA 61. It was probably NFA 61 then as well. It was, it was like, well, no, no, don't start from scratch. Here's some, here's some documents that can help you understand the hazards and put that into your audit process. So that's the first thing. It's like reach out to other folks, get that pointy end of the stick industry experience that Bill is talking about, but also try to pull in experience from other folks that are similar to your industry, similar to your site. And I really like the motto of BC4 Safety Council, of WPAC, of MAG Group out there. We don't compete on safety that we share. It's something, if you ever go to a meeting with any of these folks, you hear it every meeting. Bill's probably said it before, since before the call and, and recording at least three times uh, since we've been talking here today to me, because it really is a, a kind of culture fit there, something that's really helpful. So that'd be a great, uh, great point to leave off with. I think Bill's just saying that, you know, don't try doing a vacuum, reach out, try to understand. You can go to the, the podcast episode where I covered the audit tool before, click on the links there and see what's been done before and how that can be modified to your use instead of trying to create something that's net new. Any last words that leave off on, on that bill, any challenge you've seen if somebody says, no, I'm going to create my own audit system and maybe they miss something that I don't know, event point in a, in a walkway or something that's important. Well, I think if you're, if you're getting input from different people and in your journey of creating an audit tool, you can, you can miss making mistakes or like you said, putting a bias on a situation and, you know, we're all in this to to reduce worker injuries. So, hey, if you've got people out there willing to to help you, why would you not get help? Yep, couldn't agree more. And that's why we do this podcast. That's why we have Dust Safety Science and Dust Safety Academy and the other groups is to try to connect the the global community and just make it feel a little bit smaller at the end of the day. Bill, we've been able to do that from British Columbia to Ontario here today. <laughs> thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. And, and most importantly, thank you for the 30 years plus experience in industries out in BC, helping them, supporting them with their safety initiatives and in combustible dust with your more recent role with BC Forest Safety Council. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to help. Awesome. I look forward to getting you back on the podcast. I know in the intro or before the intro, we talked about uh, two or three other topics that I'd love to chat with you about. So it seems to me like we'll have you on sooner rather than later uh, for another episode. That's good. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Bill Laternis, Senior Safety Advisor for Manufacturing Safety at BC4 Safety Council. We've been discussing audit processes for combustible dust. This is sort of a follow-up episode on episode 213, where I walked through the pellet addendum or the WPAC audit tool, which I called in that episode. We've referred to it as the pellet addendum here in today's episode. In that previous episode, I talked about what is included in the tool or the addendum, uh, what was the scope and some of the elements because I liked how it was laid out in terms of documentation, ODI, observation documentation, and uh, interviews. 
and walk through all those different elements. And when I started talking to Bill about it, I realized that was sort of a small part of a larger process in British Columbia to develop these type of audit processes for combustible dust and, and other types of facilities. So we talked through some of Bill's background. He has over 30 years experience in forest products um, through a number of roles, management, safety, and otherwise. 2019, he joined BC Forest Safety Council. And among many other things, he's been involved with developing audit processes like that for the Manufacturing Advisory Group. Uh, we talked through the history of the WPAC pellet addendum, this, uh, this combustible dust audit tool that I talked about in the previous episode how that came about. And we picked out a number of kind of pieces of the process. So one is setting the goals. What are we trying to achieve? I know Bill's really big on this. And a key here is to get industry input. If it's forced upon people, then it's just probably going to bounce off. It won't have a great effect. But if it's more, how do we help to learn? Sure, to keep things safe on one side, but even if we can improve performance, improve efficiency, improve employee morale, whatever it is, if we can get some of those goals in there, then it's a lot easier to get buy-in. So that's one step. Pick a framework. We talked about ODI as a framework here. And we talked about evolution over time. Bill talked about how there was sort of a move from documentation review, which is more static, to looking at things like observation, like record keeping, like interviews that were able to be done at a frequency that was more, you know, more frequent than, than the documentations. The documents were changed over time at the facilities. And he also talked about ensuring that there's consistency across these different we'll call them modalities so what are you are what you observing the same as the records that are keeping are you observing fugitive dust where all the records are saying there is no fugitive dust and why is that and not to jump to conclusions like maybe there's a flaw in the the record keeping process well basically maybe call this a flaw in the record keeping process but you know like jump diving into the details not taking it at surface level but you know if they're doing the record keeping on monday and they do cleaning on on the weekend was the example that bill gave then you know, maybe we should think about changing the frequency or the days on which we're doing that type of record keeping to improve the process and make it more effective. We covered a number of things that come up. Housekeeping is one of them. Flow rates in extraction and dust collection systems was another one. Management of change planning, especially when you're changing materials. And we had a couple of cases of this just this last year where companies have moved from, say, one type of coal to another type of coal. And that other coal was much more dusty, much more you know powdery when it was grinded up, and that can then lead to a deflagration event at that site because running things the same ways as running before creates more hazardous area. Uh, Bill gave some examples of how that's also come about in um, sawmilling and other types of applications. There, we talked through the importance of maintenance, uh, understanding the maintenance protocols of new equipment that are brought on or old equipment that's being used in different ways, modifications that are made to systems. And even, you know, unengineered installations of those systems to make sure that they're installed correctly. This probably ties into having a good process for review and startup of that equipment once it's installed. Do your what-if checks, do things to make sure, okay, well, this acts in the way we're going to, we think it's going to act. And in other words, for a deflagration meant, you know, eject a fireball, what's, what's going to be the outcome of that? And hopefully you can check before you start things up that, that the deflagration meant is pointing in the wrong direction. And we closed off just with a couple of words of wisdom on getting folks to work together, and also the ability to develop these type of audit processes. And I think the place we closed off on was not to do it in a vacuum. To reach out, you can reach out to myself and I'll connect you with other people in your industry in different places in the world or other people in your parts of the world in different industries so that uh, there's a way to get together and discuss, uh, share stories, share lessons learned so that we come up with less biased approach to developing these type of audit programs so that things don't get missed at the end of the day and they're more effective for sites that are using them. 
So that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. I want to say thank you as always for listening. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead and I appreciate everything you're doing. And she's handling the muscle dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day.